You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. All right, our guest speaker for this conference, this equipping conference, comes all the way from Castle Rock, Washington. His name is Paul Taylor. If you've never heard him, you get to hear him tonight. And he is the director of the Mount St. Helens Creation Center. Uh, Deidre and I went over last July and took a tour of the the site of devastation at Mount St. Helens. We got to tour the, the Mount St. Helens destruction with Paul. When we signed up to go on the tour, we expected that we would be on a bus with like 20 other people and we wouldn't be given very special treatment. We showed up at the center and said, we're here for the tour. And he said, oh, you're Jim and Deidre. And he said, yes. And he said, I said, how many people are with us? He says, just us. And then before we left, there was two more families who joined us and they drove in their own vehicle and Paul was in our vehicle. So I got to spend the entire day with Paul Taylor touring Mount St. Helens. And I got a whole bunch of information that the other people who were in the other vehicles didn't get to have. So it was great getting to know Paul. It's been, uh, his friendship with me has been encouraging to me and uh, we got to spend yesterday with him as well. And I'm going to get, oh, he is the author of all of the books, I think, that are on the back table there. And uh, one of them that you have, because you got free with the registration today. And he's going to give you more information about the book table. And then in the Q&A, we're going to get into more of Paul's biography and who he is and what he does. So until then, will you please give a warm welcome to Paul Taylor. Well, good evening. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. If you have a little bit of difficulty understanding me, that's because of my Washingtonian accent. (laughs) Um, Yeah, as as you will have guessed, I'm not really from around these parts. I, um, I, I arrived here, I arrived here in the United States nine years ago as a missionary to a pagan land. And, uh, so I'm very, I'm delighted to, be here with you, and uh, we're, we're going to try and, uh, and, and talk over t- tonight and tomorrow about some important issues from the book of Genesis and elsewhere in Scripture too, because it is very important to understand that the book of Genesis is foundational to everything we believe, and everything in the book of Genesis, as in the rest of Scripture, is true. And it's important that we start from that position. And I know that there are many people who don't want to start from that position. But that is the position that we should start from if we're going to be honest to Scripture and honest to the one who Scripture speaks about. Because all of Scripture speaks about our God and Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, I have written some books. They are there at the, in the book table at the back. And, uh, we've, we've had some problems, uh, all of us, haven't we, this year? Uh, we've been in lockdown, and, uh, trust me, the lockdown in Washington has been more severe than the lockdown here in Idaho. And that means that I haven't really had the opportunities to be able to get together as many resources as I would have liked, as many copies of each of the books. So, it has been suggested to me that we may well run out of some titles, before uh, the end of tomorrow. 
I will uh, tell you about our website shortly, and I realize that I haven't actually printed it on one of the slides in this uh, presentation, so I'll tell you in a moment, but I'll make sure it's printed on the slides tomorrow so that you can read it and, uh, and see it. Um, it's uh, mshcreationcenter.org. And I know I've got a bit of a lisp, so the second letter was an S for Sierra, okay? Uh, MSH, from Mount St. Helens, mshcreationcenter.org. Uh, if we run out of materials tonight, you will be able to find all the materials on our website, and you can order them. And if you put in the code KCC Equipping then you will get it shipping free, okay? The shipping will be subtracted and you will get the uh, things delivered to you uh, through the mail as if you would have been able to buy them here. You'll just have a delay, and I'm sorry about that. But there are a number of books there. Um, we do have other copies of About Genesis, which is my new commentary on Genesis. I originally wanted to expand my first commentary, The Six Days of Genesis. I just wanted to write something on the whole of the book of Genesis. As I started to do it, I realized there was a lot more to say. So the book about Genesis covers only the first, the first volume that's out at the moment. The first volume covers only the first nine chapters, whereas the book you've got covers the first 11 chapters, but the, the book with nine chapters in is actually a lot bigger than the, than the book uh, that you've got free. So that's, you consider that to be my abridged thoughts on Genesis. I've got longer thoughts on Genesis, and there will be two more volumes coming out eventually. I expect volume two to be out in December. And uh, God willing, uh, Volume 3 by Easter of 2021. Uh, other books there, there's a book called Only Believe, which is about apologetics, how we should defend the faith, how we should defend the faith. Now, you've had that basic message hammered home to you a few times, uh, because basically the message is very similar to Jason Lyle's book, um, uh, the ultimate proof of creation. But I, I say it a little bit differently and with a British accent. And, um, and, and anyone who speaks with a British accent is supposed to be automatically intelligent, aren't they? So, so there you go. So when you read it, you have to read it with a British accent. Then, uh, <laughs> actually, I've got an audio book of it and it isn't with a British accent because I, uh, I got a, pa a pastor from Texas to, uh, to do it. So it's with a Texas accent instead. <laughs> So it takes twice as long as if I'd read it. <laughs> um, the book, How Old is the Earth, goes through, uh, sorry, the biblical age of the earth goes through how old the earth is. It takes the passages from scripture and explains what the age of the earth is. I'll be going through that tomorrow. Um, the book, Where Birds Eat Horses, is a very odd title, but it's about the language of evolution, and it shows you that the proof of the theory of evolution is not actually real science at all. It's their clever and deceptive use of language. So that's what that uh, book is about. And I've got some homeschool uh, materials there. I'm trying to put together a, uh, a set of uh, textbooks for high school age homeschooled young people, approximately ages 15 through 18. Okay, um, I find that a lot of uh, science homeschool materials that have been produced are not for that age, and that's why I wanted to make that uh, that age. And it's written from a 
tried to be, I tried to write it from a classical point of view, so it's at the rhetorical level. Too many textbooks that come out for that age are still written at the grammar level, even though they're technically difficult, they're written at the grammar level, so it's all facts, 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 which is what puts young people off science so often. So uh, this is written from the rhetoric level. It's based on my experience as a public school teacher in uh, England and in Wales for 20 years and uh, the work that I've done in subsequent years, trying to understand, uh, trying to make sure that uh, we understand a biblical view of education. So those are the books that you can get there. There's a few others there. Do ask me about them, and uh, hopefully they will be of some use to you. Okay, well, tonight I want to talk about Genesis and the Gospel. Genesis and the Gospel. And you see, one of the things that people will often say to me is, Well, what you're doing, Paul, is a bit of a waste of time, because what we should be doing is just preaching Jesus. And you're taking people into the area of Genesis where Christians have disagreements. Why are you doing that? Let's just concentrate on preaching Jesus so that people can be saved. And obviously, the gospel is the most important thing that we do. So, yeah, we should just preach Jesus. So, thank you for inviting me. God bless, and let's go. No, I am going to say a little bit more, because I'm going to explain to you that what's in the book of Genesis is about Jesus. And I want to ask, in your church's preaching and your evangelism and in your Sunday school, do you teach anthropology? the science of people? Do you teach astronomy? Do you teach biology? Do you teach geology? Some of you may hear maybe Sunday school teachers with your young people in your charges. Do you teach those things? Anthropology, astronomy, biology, geology. And you might say, no, of course not. Of course we don't teach that. We're trying to teach people Bible stories. So where do they learn about anthropology, astronomy, biology, and geology? Where do your young people learn about those things? And the answer you might give, and I'm sure some of you will have a different answer, a better answer, but the answer you might give is, well, they're going to learn that in public school, aren't they? And in those two answers... You've just put you've just put your finger on everything that is wrong with the way that we deliver Bible teaching today. Because our Bible teaching and our Sunday school teaching does not address real issues. Real issues. So young people might ask something in a Sunday school class. Is it true that we evolved from apes? And the Sunday school teacher says, well, don't worry about that. We're just going to learn about Jesus here. Just ask your teacher at school about that. And that's the wrong answer, because the Bible has something to say foundationally on everything. 
The Bible has something foundational to say on everything. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have an an astronomical textbook in the Bible. Of course not. That's not the point that I'm making. And people will often say to me, well, the Bible isn't a science textbook anyway, so we shouldn't be talking about science. That's right, the Bible isn't a science textbook, which is a good job, isn't it, really? Because science textbooks change every two or three years. The Bible does not. But I'll tell you what the Bible is. The Bible is a history book. It is the history book of the universe. And its history is true and foundational. So the Bible will touch on issues that are pertaining to astronomy. I know you had uh, my, my friend Jason Lyle here last year, who is just a brilliant man, and particularly in the area of astronomy. And he's done a great deal of astronomical research. And you might say, well, when, uh, when Jason discovered a planet uh, orbiting another star, he didn't find that in the Bible, did he? No. But his science is underlined by his belief that the stars were created by God. And it's that reason that he understands why scientific laws are in place. The Bible is a history book of the universe, and, the, and therefore it does have things to say about the science of human beings, the anthropology, about the science of the, uh, the universe, astronomy, about the science of uh, living things, biology, and about the science of the earth and its structure, geology. The Bible has something to say on all those things. And the Bible starts by talking about the days of creation, the six days of creation, that on the first day God made the earth and space and and time and light, and on the second day he made the atmosphere, and he actually made the whole of space as he stretched out the firmament. Day three, he made dry land and plants and separated them from the seas. On the fourth day he made the sun, the moon and the stars. On the fifth day, he made sea creatures and flying creatures. And on the sixth day, he made land animals and plants. And that is a real history. And if you're not sure why, you know, are those days real days, real 24-hour days or not, uh, listen to my talk tomorrow, and I'll explain to you that they are literal 24-hour days. And if you can't uh, accept them as literal 24-hour days, then you are going to have problems with other parts of the Bible. And we'll show you that tomorrow. But our problems is that in so many of our Sunday schools, over years and years and years, we've taught individual Bible stories. And when I grew up, I learned individual Bible stories, stories of Adam and Eve, of Cain and Abel, of Abraham and Isaac, of David, of Daniel in the lion's den, and of course of Jesus, and uh, of course the conversion of Paul. And I saw these as individual stories, and I didn't realize that there was anything that connected them. And it's important that our children are not just taught these separate individual stories as if they were as different from each other as the fairy stories of Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. We should show them that they, A, are historical, they're real, and B, that they are connected, and that really it's very difficult to fully understand the conversion of Paul without understanding the truth of Adam and Eve. These things depend on each other. I will be talking about Cain and Abel on Sunday uh, um, uh, during the the worship service. These things are important. But as I said, people will say the Bible isn't a science textbook. But those four areas 
are things on which God uh, has said something in the Bible. Indeed, in time past, they used to be the framework for how we would understand the Bible, how we would understand things. There was a biblical anthropology that God made all people descended from one man and one woman. And of course, the woman herself was taken from the side of the man. So all human beings on earth are descended from one man, Adam, which means, of course, that we are all related. So this today is a family gathering. I know I'm from the ugly side of the family, but it is a family gathering. Why why do you need to know that? Because throughout the Old Testament, you read that you can only be saved by a relative. Read through your Old Testament, and you'll find that's true. You can only be saved by a relative. Check out the book of Ruth, who could only be saved, redeemed by a relative. And you'll realize that it's a good job, therefore, that Jesus is related to every single one of you in this room. Otherwise, if there was somebody in this room who was not related in any form to Jesus, they would never, ever be able to be saved. Now do you start to see the beginnings of why Genesis is important to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the church today has removed the Bible from those four areas and has said that really the church has nothing to say about geology. We gave up the geology when we started talking about millions of years. Millions of years. There are people today who think that, the, that science has proved millions of years. How can it? Science is about what happens today. And again, I'm going to explain this in detail tomorrow. But the church gave up on this. Even though there is no scientific evidence whatsoever for deep time, they gave up on the Bible's geology. And then the church gave up on the Bible's biology. So they decided that instead of things having been created by God, they evolved slowly over long periods of time. And the church gave up on the Bible's anthropology that they decided that human beings too were not created in the image of God, but had evolved slowly from other animals. And then they gave up on the Bible's astronomy and decided that those stars, um, well, of course, the stars are millions of light years away, but therefore decided that they must have been millions of years old, which is not actually the same thing and uh, 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 this belief that there was a sort of evolution in the universe as everything came from some sort of singularity uh, known as the Big Bang. So what happens then is that the church no longer has anything to say about any of the issues that matter. Those four areas which our young people are being taught about in public school without any reference to God whatsoever. And then we wonder why our young people are leaving church day by day, year by year. Now the church has nothing to say of any substance about the world. We give him the impression, even as Christians, that we no longer believe the Bible. Even Bible-believing churches often give the impression that they don't believe the Bible. Suppose you go into a Sunday school class and you see, for example, a picture of Noah's Ark. Like this. It's very cute, isn't it? Lots of fluffy animals all over the place. And of course, as soon as you look at that, you realize it is not realistic. That art could not exist because clearly it's top heavy. It's not going to float. And in fact, as soon as one big wave comes along, the whole thing is going to be capsized. And if we use cute pictures like that in our Sunday school classes, then we are teaching our children something that is unreal. 
Of course, the ark didn't look like that. It would easily be knocked over by a big wave, but God designed the ark to float upright in violent storms. It had the right dimensions. But of course, you can't believe that, can you? That's just nonsense. You can't believe that there was a real ark. That's just silly to believe that, because after all, you couldn't fit dinosaurs in the ark, could you? Actually, the ark was longer than a Boeing 747. There was plenty of room for animals in the ark, even if they were the size of dinosaurs. And by the way, it's very unlikely that they would have taken large dinosaurs in. I don't want to go on to too much of a bunny trail about dinosaurs, but it's unlikely they would have put large dinosaurs in the ark because reptiles, unlike mammals, do not have a, a growth delimiter. And dinosaurs are probably more, are probably similar to reptiles in some ways. Um, Therefore, the larger they are, the older they are. So it would be more likely for uh, younger, smaller, young adult dinosaurs to be on the ark that would have been smaller, able to breed afterwards. But honestly, the ark had enough room uh, for two of every kind, even if, um, even if you took uh, full-size uh, apatosauruses and so on on board. Well, let me just change tack slightly because I've tried to introduce some of the questions then that, that, that exist. But this talk is about Genesis and the gospel. And this idea that we shouldn't be talking about Genesis, we should be preaching the gospel. So what are the elements of the gospel that we ought to be preaching? Well, you can find a lot of those in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through, through 4. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you which also you received, in which you, uh, also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he describes three elements to the Gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That is not casting doubt, by the way. It's not saying, well, the script, according to the scriptures it says it, but maybe there's other books that don't. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That the scriptures talk about Christ dying for our sins. But hold on a minute. This is one of Paul's epistles. This was written before, probably before the gospels were written, what scriptures is Paul talking about? I mean, we can see that it's the whole of scripture today that talks about Jesus. But in Paul's day, he was saying Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And the scriptures that he's talking about are is the Old Testament. And what does the Old Testament start with? It starts with Genesis. Christ died for our sins according to Genesis. That's a big claim. We'll see it in a minute. Christ was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Those are the three elements. First Corinthians 15, 21 to 22 says, Since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. You see a parallel there. Death came into the world through a man. Which man? Adam. Life came into the world. Resurrection of the dead came into a world by a man. Which man? Christ, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now think about those two verses. You might not want to believe that Adam was a real person. 
is a mythology in the Old Testament. So since by a myth came death, by a real man came the resurrection of the dead. That doesn't make sense. This referring to Jesus and equating him to Adam only makes sense if Adam was a real person and everything that happened in Genesis happened in reality. As in Adam, all die. As in a myth, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. If death only came into the world mythologically, then why did Christ have to die really on the cross? Do you see the parallel? Some people say, well, maybe Adam was real, but he was just at the end of a long period of evolution. He's the first evolved ape. I'll come to that in a minute. Therefore, his death was spiritual death. But if Adam only died spiritually, I'll ask again, why did Jesus Christ have to die really on the cross? Why couldn't he just have died spiritually to undo our spiritual death that we've inherited from Adam? The answer is because Adam did not die mythologically. Adam did not die spiritually. Adam actually, really died because he was a real person. (coughs) And therefore, we need a real human being to die on our behalf to undo death. Do you see? This matters. It's to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been told I should just preach Jesus and forget Genesis. But we are seeing now that you cannot understand the gospel of Jesus Christ without believing Genesis to be literally true. So it also it's written in verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This link between Adam and Jesus is very important. Now, an English theologian called John Stott wrote about this. Have you heard about John? Have you heard of John Stott? Okay, famous evangelical preacher in the Church of England, back in England. Um, in 1986, I went to hear John Stott speak in a city called Bradford in Yorkshire. And he was uh, talking on the subject of his very important book that he'd uh, written at that time called The Cross of Christ. And during his talk, he kept emphasizing, he said, you've got to believe there was a real person called Adam, because otherwise you can't understand these passages in 1 Corinthians. Now, that made me scratch my head a bit, because I had heard that John Stott was a Christian who believed in millions of years and the theory of evolution. So, it came to question time. I'm sorry? The microphone's not uh, working. I do apologize. There we go. Sorry, I get a bit passionate and the microphone starts falling off. I'll try and speak more calmly like a proper British person. (laughs) All this emotion and walking around, it's very (laughs) un-British. Stiff upper lip. Okay. So, I had the great privilege of asking the first question in Q&A time. I said, Dr. Stott, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. You say that it's very important to believe there was a real person called Adam. And uh, 
I said, but I have heard, you know, that you still accept the theory of evolution. You don't believe that Genesis 1 was literally true. Um, how do you reconcile those two things? He thought for a minute and he said, well, I like to think that the dust of the earth that Adam was made of means the millions of years of evolution of, uh, of uh, Adam coming about. And basically, eventually, one ape was sufficiently evolved to become a human being so God could breathe into him and he became a human being. We might even call him Homo Divinus. And apparently that was the first time he ever used that famous phrase, homo divinus, which has now been used by a lot of other theologians, including many over here in the United States too. And so I've quoted a bit from his book there where he actually wrote that in a uh, later book called Understanding the Bible. Uh, Adam was the first homo divinus. I'm sorry, that won't do. Because if you believe that, then you believe that all those ape men before Adam died. There was death. Adam was acquainted with death because his grandfather, Monkey, was also... Yes, I know evolutionists don't believe we evolved from monkeys. Forget that. Okay, but you know you know what I'm talking about. And by the way, that's actually semantics because if uh, they say, well, we didn't evolve from apes, but we have a common ancestor with apes, well, what did that common ancestor look like? Probably more like an ape than like a human being. Okay? But, you know, we'll, we'll go along with their terminology. Nevertheless... Those grandparents died and the great-grandparents died. There was death in the world. Whereas the Bible tells us that no death came into the world at all until Adam sinned. In other words, that's completely contrary to what the Bible says. You want to, you might want to believe the theory of evolution. You might want to believe the Bible. Trust me, you can't do both. You cannot do both. You can pretend you do both, but basically I'm afraid that Dr. Stott, for all his intelligence, was undermining people's belief in the truth of Scripture. Adam was biologically perfect, you see. He was created so that he would never die. He would never die. Theistic evolutionists have to make Jesus something that no human ever was because they believe that Adam was uh, created so that he could die, whereas Jesus died for our sins and was created biologically perfect. When, well, not created, but he came to the earth biologically perfect. That means that for a theistic evolutionist, Jesus was not human. How could he possibly be human? Because Jesus was perfect. But if there was no previous model of perfect humanity in, uh, in Adam then Jesus was more than human. He was Superman. And I'm afraid you cannot be saved by Superman, only in the movies. You can only be saved by a blood relative. Can we make that clear again? Like Ruth could be saved by a relative. You can only be saved by a blood relative. And Jesus was descended from Adam. Jesus is both God and human. Not 50% God and 50% human, by the way. 100% God, 100% human. And in his human nature, he's descended from Adam. And that's why he can redeem any of you who repent and put your trust in him. So Jesus can be our representative. And you see, if you believe in evolution, therefore, Jesus could not really be your representative theologically. We can only be redeemed by a relative. Okay, well, if you start to look at the bones of eight men, you'll notice that there is a bias in their reconstruction. Here, for example, is a skull of a so-called ape man called Australopithecus afarensis. Okay, now using, <coughs> using clay, 
you can reconstruct the face. I want you to pay a special attention to the holes in the skull known as the eye sockets when the reconstruction is made. There. What do you notice about that ape man? Does that look human? Does that look partly human? It does to me, actually. I think it does look partly human. It's got an animal face that looks partly human. Let me just go back a minute. Look at the eyes again and the skull. Can you see the eyes there? Can you see the eyes here? What do you notice? They are human eyes. Do those eyes actually exist in the skull? No, they do not. In other words, the person who has reconstructed this skull has used bias. And in fact, he admitted as such. Here's a quote from the person who reconstructed the skull. He said, I wanted to get a human soul into this ape-like face to indicate something about where he was headed. Do you understand the significance of this? He was supposedly headed towards being human. Now, what's the matter, what's the matter with that? Well, here's the matter with that. There's the picture we we're just looking at. And here are pictures of apes. What do you notice about the, apes, uh, the eyes of apes like gorillas and chimpanzees? They do not have whites in their eyes. Do you notice that? Humans have whites in their eyes. But those eyes were not there in the skull. So why are the eyes put there in the face? Because the person who made the reconstruction believed in the theory of evolution and therefore put it in because he wanted to put a human soul in it. But it wasn't there in the bones. And you know our young people are being told that this is scientific fact. And it's not. It is a lie. And that's the propaganda that your young people are getting if you are sending your children to the public schools. And that's what they're getting day after day after day. But this is what the Bible says about anthropology. The Bible says about Jesus that it says, you, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. Well, you might say, well, that's, that makes sense. Our Lord and God created all things. But who is that? Just go down the same passage a little bit further on. Remember, the chapter of the divisions are not actually necessarily inspired. You know that, don't you? The Bible is completely inspired, but the chapters and verses are not. Chapter 5, verse 9 is basically still the same passage, talking about the same person, the Lord and God there. Worthy are you to take the book. So that you is the same as that, you, our Lord and God. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, then, we can put, we could uh, interpret, to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain. When was God slain? When was our Lord and God slain? The answer is, on the cross. This is referring to the second person of the Trinity, to Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is the one who created all things. And I've worked that out from the last book of the Bible, not the first book of the Bible. And the last book of the Bible there has told us that Jesus is the one who created all things. And Paul tells us in the book of Colossians that by Jesus, for, that by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, everything was created. Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no longer any death. What did Adam's sin bring into the world? Death. Jesus will bring in a world that where there's no longer any death. There also will be no longer any curse. What did God do 
when Adam had sinned, he cursed Adam and he cursed the ground. Because Adam was a real person with a real curse and real physical death. And God is going to undo that one day. And you know what? If you don't believe that was true in the past, then what hope have you got that this is true in the future? If you don't believe that the curse that was originally given was a real curse, you don't believe that the death that was originally given for sin was real physical death, then what hope have you got ever of living for eternity in heaven with no curse and no death? I've put it to you that your hope is a waste of time if you don't believe that in the beginning. And you tell me that I should just preach Jesus. This is about Jesus, our creator. It's about Jesus. And it's about the gospel. So the gospel is about Jesus Christ, crucified and raised from the dead. But in 1 Corinthians 15, we find that that depends on the fact that Christ was in creation. That it was sin that brought about death that Christ had to undo. And there is a future on top of that, that there will be the consummation of all things when God makes a new heaven and a new earth. The gospel has three elements, that you have to have the foundational knowledge as well as the power of the gospel. And when you've got the foundational knowledge and the power of the gospel, then you can have the hope of the gospel. But without those first two elements, you have no hope. There is no hope simply in talking about Jesus Christ raised from the dead if you don't know why he had to be raised from the dead and what the scriptures are that he fulfilled in his coming. You see why this matters. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness. I have gone too long on this particular aspect, so I'm going to skip several slides now because I need to start to wind up. And I got far too much material there. But I just want to wind up with a few things about, uh, about that man, Christ Jesus. Because we read in the scripture again, since by man, Adam came death, by man, Jesus also came the resurrection of the dead. You see, here's a timeline. There are genealogies for Jesus in the Bible. Jesus. His, uh, his father, his earthly father was Joseph. Now I know he wasn't, uh, uh, his, hum- his, um, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, but Joseph was the man who looked after him, descended from David. So the kingly line comes from David. But in Luke's gospel, that, that genealogy comes from Matthew's gospel. From Luke's gospel, we find that Mary herself, uh, and he refers really to Joseph there as her, as her husband. But uh, Mary, this is the genealogy of Mary through another line, also through another of David's sons, Nathan. So in two lines, both an actual bloodline and a kingly adopted line, Jesus is descended from David. David descended from Jesse. Jesse from Obed. Obed from Boaz, who married Ruth. Boaz from Salmon. And all the way back until you come to a mythological creature at the beginning. Where does the myth end and the reality begin? Do you see that you cannot understand this program of salvation that is throughout the whole Bible without believing that those first people on that genealogy are just as real as the last people on the genealogy? Does this make sense? It is about the gospel. 
And that's why when we understand this world that God made, but where sin came in, that we can begin to understand the world we live in. Why we live in a world that has both joy and sorrow, a world that has both life and death, a world that has both love and hate. This mixed up world is only understandable when we understand the truth of Genesis. Adam and Eve were given a commandment. And that's how we know that they sinned, because sin means breaking God's commandments. Adam was given one commandment. We have ten commandments, but Adam was given just one. And his commandment was um, that he wasn't to eat of the true fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And without going too far into that, because I'll leave that for another time, once he sinned, death came into the world. And God said, the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Just one quick bunny trail there is that, of course, he didn't die immediately at the fruit because the phrase surely die doesn't mean dying immediately. Actual fact, in Hebrew, the word for death is must. And what it, what it actually says there is it repeats the word. It says must, must. And whenever you've got that repeated in Hebrew, it basically is just emphasizing it. And it's saying there's a process has started. So the process, the process, sorry, in American accent, the process of death began with Adam's sin. On the day that you eat that fruit, you will die, die. The process of death will start. You won't drop dead immediately, but you will eventually die. Whereas if he hadn't eaten that fruit, he would never have died. He would have lived forever and he would still have been around today. The process of death started when Adam ate the fruit and sinned. And that's important Because God didn't leave Adam and Eve dead. They broke the commandment. And the commandment, by the way, was not a commandment not to eat an apple because the forbidden fruit was not an apple. That's why the artist here has drawn it looking like a hand grenade. Um, (laughs) Because of its explosive effects down to history. So the sin happened. There was nothing poisonous about that apple, of course, because it wasn't the fruit that killed them. It was disobedience to uh, to the commandment that killed them. Disobeying God is what killed them. Does that make sense? Not the fruit. Why was there a commandment? Because they had to obey. Could Adam have got, what could Adam have done to remain in grace? That's a very difficult question. And you could write books on that. But in one sense, from a human point of view, we could say this. You know, I believe everything is in God's sovereign plan. But from a human point of view, you could say, well, maybe Adam could have remained in grace by doing nothing. It was the fact he did something that caused him to sin. And by the way, how can you be saved today? By doing nothing. Because there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. It has to be done by Jesus Christ. Because you cannot save yourself because you are a dead corpse, dead in your sins. And it's only by the salvation of Jesus Christ that you can be saved. And that's why that's important. That's why it helps us to understand Jesus as the last Adam. What clothes did Adam and Eve wear? What clothes did Adam and Eve wear? Perhaps you want to answer fig leaves. Well, they didn't wear fig leaves very long. They wore fig leaves because they wanted to cover their own sin by their own actions. They knew they'd sinned, so they covered themselves from God. And that doesn't work, does it? That doesn't get you to heaven. If you try and cover your own sin, it doesn't work. You are still in 
unrighteousness. So what did God do? He gave them clothes of skin. And there's a bit of artistic license here because to give them clothes of skin, presumably God must have killed an animal to give them clothes of skin. Because the book of Hebrews says, uh, having got those clothes of skin, we read in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Paul, stop talking about Genesis. Just preach Jesus. I have preached Jesus because he's there in the book of Genesis. He was the creator. We sinned against him by disobeying God. He is the one who redeems so that one day the curse and the death that began in Genesis can be undone forever. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.